Hello, dear friend. I'm Marissa Blackwood, and welcome to All Things Murder. Welcome to All Things Murder, the show that dives into real true crime cases that inspired pop culture movies and shows we know today. I'm Marissa Blackwood, and with Father's Day coming up, let's talk about one of the worst fathers, and no, I am not talking about mine, but none other than John List. Now, I've briefly talked about John List in our 32nd episode, The Watcher, which I highly recommend you listen to. Please join me down the rabbit hole, it's a good episode. John List was the inspiration for 2009 film The Stepfather, starring U-star Penn Badgley and Dylan Walsh. John List was a mass murderer and longtime fugitive who murdered his entire family and disappeared for 18 years. Listener's discretion is advised. If you're a fan of horror movies or true crime, or perhaps both like myself, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, don't forget to check us out on YouTube at All Things Murder. New episodes on Thursdays. If you haven't seen The Stepfather, let me just give you a little refresher. When Michael Harding, Penn Badgley, returns home from military school, he discovers that his mom, played by Sella Ward, has a new man named David, who is Dylan Walsh, in her life. Though David makes Michael's mother very happy, Michael cannot seem to shake the feeling this guy is very sketchy. He becomes increasingly suspicious of the man and wonders if the pleasant exterior hides a sinister side. I won't spoil the movie, but definitely go watch that movie. Pretty good movie. Born September 17th of 1925 in Bay City, Michigan, John Emil List was a devout Lutheran and a Sunday school teacher. After he graduated high school in 1943, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and served as a laboratory technician during World War II. His father died in 1944, and after John's discharge in 1946, he enrolled at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, where he earned a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in accounting, and was commissioned a second lieutenant through ROTC. So, so far, sounding like a pretty normal guy, as they always do. In November of 1950, as the Korean War escalated, John was called back to military service. At Fort Eustis in Virginia, he met his wife, Helen Morris Taylor, who was a widow of an infantry officer killed in action in Korea, who lived nearby with her daughter, Brenda. So they got married on December 1st of 1951 in Baltimore, Maryland, and then they moved to Northern California. The army recognizing John's accounting skills reassigned him to the Finance Corps. After completion of his second tour in 1952, he worked for an accounting firm in Detroit and then was an audit supervisor as at a paper company in Kalamazoo, where his three children were born. In 1965, John accepted a position as vice president and a controller at a bank in Jersey City, New Jersey, and he moved his wife, his kids, and his mom into Breeznell, which is a 19-room Victorian mansion located on 431 Hillside Avenue in Westfield, New Jersey. At a mansion, ugh, let me tell you. 19 rooms, what are you gonna do with 19 rooms? John and his family were the embodiment of the American dream in 1965. Everything looked great on the surface. They got a big house, got dad, kids, like what? Everything looked great. But almost nothing 
was as it seemed, the murders. In 1971, John lost his job at the bank at when he was 46, and other jobs did not pan out. They weren't paying the bills. So he couldn't bear to tell his family that he lost his job and lost his income. What man is gonna willingly be like, babe, I lost my job, hope it's cool. We live in a mansion, can't afford it. So he spent his days at the train station, just reading the newspaper and secretly scamming money from his mother's bank accounts just to pay the mortgage. He refused to go on welfare as it would entail excruciating embarrassment in the community and violate the principles of self-sufficiency that he learned from his father. Sometimes it's just good to say that, you know, I've lost, I need help. If you need help, don't be ashamed to say, I need help. One day in late 1971, John shot and killed his wife, Helen, their 16-year-old daughter, Patricia, 15-year-old son, John, his 13-year-old son, Frederick, and his mother, Alma, who was 85. They were shot methodically one by one. Helen was first. John saw the kids off to school and then shot her in the kitchen as she sipped her customary morning coffee. So the kids are gone and then bam, shoots his wife. Then he went up to the third floor and murdered his mom in her bed. He killed his daughter, Patricia, when she came home from school, then the youngest son, Frederick. He made himself a sandwich, closed out all of his bank accounts, and cheered for his only surviving son, John, at his high school soccer game. Okay, what madman shoots almost all of his family but one person, and then's like, yeah, I'm gonna make a sandwich to go to my kid's game. Nothing to see here. He gave his son a ride home and then shot him in the chest. The escape. So John laid all the bodies of his family members on top of sleeping bags in the ballroom, then composed a note to his pastor, who he felt would understand. Yeah, I don't think a pastor's gonna understand why you just murdered your entire family because you lost your job. He feared his family, confronted with a world full of evil and poverty, who would turn from God. So he thought that killing them was their only way to ensure their safe arrival in heaven. Because yeah, that makes sense. He cleaned the crime scenes and used scissors to remove all the photos of, with his face in the mansion. He canceled all deliveries and contacted his kids' school to let their teachers know that they were going to be on vacation for a few weeks. Don't ask. He then turned on the lights and the radio, leaving religious hymns playing in the house's empty rooms like, Yeah, people are home! He slept in the mansion with his family dead downstairs, then walked out the door the next morning and wasn't seen again for 18 years. A month passed before the neighbors, curious about all the constant burning lights and empty windows, began to suspect something was wrong at the house. They're like, hey, it's been a month since I've seen anyone in that house and a lot of activity with the lights on, but no people. Interesting. When the authorities entered the house on December 7th of 1971, they heard organ music going throughout the intercom system. They also found the five-page note from John List explaining that the bloody bodies on the ballroom floor were his family members killed out of mercy. He had saved the souls of the people he loved. The FBI found his car parked at Kennedy International Airport in New York City, but they never found him. The trail went cold. He settled in Denver in 1972 and took an accounting job under the name Robert Peter or Bob Clark, who was one of his college classmates. The real Bob Clark said that he had never known John. 
So this guy just like took his name, started a new life. Thanks, Bob. From 1979 to 1986, he was a comptroller at a paper box manufacturer outside of Denver. He joined a Lutheran congregation and ran a carpool for shut-in church members. Just an all-American guy, huh? At one religious gathering, he met an Army PX clerk named Dolores Miller, and they got married in 1985. She married a murderer, didn't know. In February of 1988, the couple moved to a house in Bandermill neighborhood of Midlothian, Virginia, where John, still using the name Bob Clark, resumed work as an accountant at a small accounting firm, Madrera, Joyner, Kirkham, and Woody. In May of 1989, the 18-year-old crime was recounted on the Fox television program America's Most Wanted during their first year on air. The segment featured an age-processed clay bust sculptured by forensic artist Frank Bender, which turned out to bear a very close resemblance to John's actual appearance. Uh-oh. On June 1st, less than two weeks after the broadcast, John Liss was arrested at a Richmond accounting firm after a Denver neighbor recognized the description and called the authorities. Can you believe that, Pamela? Oh my god, that looks like Bob. I think that's Bob. At his trial in 1990, defense lawyers argued that John suffered from PTSD from his military service in World War II and Korea. A court-appointed psychiatrist testified that John Liss suffered from obsessive-compulsive personality disorder and that he saw only two solutions to his situation, accept welfare or kill his family and send their souls to heaven. The prosecution pointed out that that was no excuse for killing five innocent people. I think we can all agree. The jury finally found John Liss guilty, and a judge sentenced him to five life terms in a New Jersey prison. In an interview with Connie Chung in 2002, John Liss said he did not kill himself after killing his own family because he felt that that would prevent him from getting to heaven. Sir, you murdered your family. What makes you think you're going to heaven? All John wanted was to reunite his wife, mother, and children in the afterlife where he believed there would be no pain or suffering. John Liss died in prison in 2008 at the age of 82. The mansion in New Jersey where John Liss lived with his family burned down several months after the murders. Authorities never found the cause of the fire and a new house was built on the property years later. I'm gonna say the house was like, let's start over. The memory of the murder still haunts Westfield residents. In an interview in 2008, parents told a reporter in New Jersey that children will not walk past that property, nor do they even want to live on the same street. If you do check out the Watcher episode, I'm just gonna say a lot of things are happening in Westfield, New Jersey. What is going on over there? You got this guy murdering his entire family, and then several years later, you get the creepy Watcher letters like, I'm gonna say this. You live in Westfield, New Jersey. I have several questions for you. Several. And that, my dear friends, is the story of John Lust. Again, if you haven't seen the movie Stepfather, might want to check it out before Father's Day. Pretty good movie. Thank you all so much for joining me. Happy Father's Day. And don't forget to tune in next week for our new All Things Murder, if you dare. <laughs> <laughs>